Hello, Whatnots. Uh, Jeff Lester here, and I am recording my part of the last episode of Wait What for the Year. It's our best of list, and due in part to my crazy schedule, uh, we are, in fact, going to be um, recording our pieces separately, uh, and then Graham is going to stitch them together. My understanding is I think that Graham is, in fact, going to be... Uh, Talking with Chloe, maybe, either about Best Of or Christmas comics or maybe a combination thereof. Um, but me, it's just me in my room trying to get things recorded. And let me do so now. So what I've done is I've put together a list of my best of of the year. Um, and there's so many qualifications that I have for that that I should probably m mention very quickly and then keep moving, which is to say that, um, the two things, I mean, if you've listened to us before you, I think you kind of know the score, but just in case one, uh, this year, like the last, I don't know, five, six years, I really sort of gave up the ghost in terms of reading comics in real time. Um, I think the vast majority of my comic reading, is done digitally, um, a lot of which is being done on, um, well, through Comixology, but there's also some other streaming platforms that uh, I'm doing or I'm buying digital collections and things. And uh, so uh, consequently, I just feel like I'm at this stage of my life where I'm not really reading a lot of stuff from the big two. Like I've got a small pile of books that I get on quote unquote new comic book day, but um I, I think overall, I, I'm glad about not having to feel the need to be so plugged in. Um, I can just sort of read what I want when I want. And one of the things that's nice, particularly with digital, but I think also for those of us who go into comic book stores or who have access to a library, um, time doesn't quite mean what it used to for comic books. You know, back when I was a kid back in the 70s comics just like uh movies and tv like it came out and if you didn't catch it well you were kind of screwed you know if there was a repertory theater it came back if there was a comic book store you bought back issues but you know there wasn't trade paperbacks oh i should say and in the summers of course you had summer reruns but you know i really was a kid before the age of a very young kid anyway, before the age of VCRs. And now, of course, everything is, in theory, available all the time. So the big plus of that is that um, most of the, the vast majority, two-thirds of my quote-unquote uh, best-of list, did not come out this year. In a lot of them, not even this decade. Uh, but they were the best reading experiences for me. And... Um, I think whereas before that sort of thing felt either self-indulgent or maybe a bit of a dodge uh, rather than confessing that you weren't actually there reading things in the moment as they came out and had your finger on the pulse of the blabbity blab, I uh, I, I want to say that, um, that maybe um, it's healthy for a field to be able to look at it from a larger scope, you know, that the health of an industry um, can be measured in, 
uh, how easy it is to go far back and to dig deep. And, you know, the, the more that we get a, um, the depth and the width of, of an industry of a, of an artistic medium, the easier it is for that medium to get stronger and healthier and to build off of things, you know, I don't know. I mean, I guess this is just all my way of saying like, yeah, I'm not, going to be talking about a lot of current comics and the ones that I do aren't necessarily better than the comics that you have read. In fact, they're, I, it, it would be shocking if they were, they're just better than some of the other timely comics that I read, you know, um, they, these are the best experiences that I had. And, uh, obviously I'm clearly into leaving this huge long caveat five minutes already of um, why I'm justifying my uh, approach that I am. So if this is not the approach for you, I totally understand. Um, I'll try and keep it somewhat quick because I realized even if I just talk about each comic for like three minutes or something like that, it's, this thing's going to run stupidly long, which kind of sucks. Um Anyway, I'm going to start off with the books that um, I enjoyed. Things are sort of in a rough chronology, chronological order. So I'm going to go through the new, the the oldest of the old, and then I'll start in on the newest of the new. Um, newest of the new, weirdly, is alphabetical, but the other ones aren't. Blabbity, 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 blab. Okay, here we go. So the first on my list is Giant Size Conan the Barbarian, number uh, issue number five. This came out somewhere around, I guess, 1975. Uh, is a actually a collection of one or two issues of Conan the Barbarian by Roy Thomas and Barry Windsor Smith from 1972, in which Conan teams up with uh elric so it's actually robert e howard's barbarian meets michael uh moorcock's kind of elven wizardly dark anti-hero and it's it's kind of a jam i'll be honest i read this way back when when i was a kid and i think also in the same giant size format and um I just, I just kind of love it. Interestingly enough, there's a big plus in that the enemy that they fight is the sorcerer Kulan Goth, who goes on to be kind of a, a reoccurring Marvel bad guy. He pops up in that amazing um, Spider-Man Red Sonja team up uh, in Chris Claremont's X-Men and is currently the quote-unquote big bad in Savage Avengers, which is a book that I read a lot and um, enjoy quite a bit. Uh, although it's not on my list and maybe I'll talk about that a little bit. But generally, part of the reason why I picked this as opposed to the two issues that it reprints is... It's got a Jack Kirby cover uh, back during the time where Kirby, I guess, was uh, had come back and was doing covers for Marvel, I guess, as a form of supplementary thing. I don't know. It doesn't seem to make sense with 75. Must have been the very tail end of 75. But um, you've got a Kirby cover. You've got Smith's Insides. You've got Michael Moorcock, Robert E. Howard. And you've, you've got Roy Thomas, bless his heart, doing a, a great little thing. So I enjoyed it. Great jam. Some amazing psychedelic effects towards the end. Just a great um, flat-out action fantasy comic book. So next book, Action 2020 Special with the band issue. Uh, so 2020... 2000 AD came out with, or Rebellion, I never know how to 
parse that out, came out with a new special collecting news stories of the action characters. It was all right. Much, much more my jam was the band issue from 1976. I think it's October of 76 that um, they reprinted and included as a facsimile. And I loved it. It's just fabulous. That the, the stories there are really short and really kind of brutal. Um, you know, sort of this kind of bog standard stuff, literally like, uh, the reproduction is just terrible. I, I don't know how an entire generation did not go blind trying to read this stuff. Um, fortunately the printing just got much, much better by the time 2000 AD starts up, but yeah, action like Hookjaw, like Roy of the Rovers, kids. Okay. Um, it's just it's just all it's all good violent rowdy stuff it's kind of the attempt to have kind of a little um grindhouse film festival uh in black and white british comic form and you can really see and sense the enthusiasm for the artists and the writers for the material that i think finally is able to take out and fully flourish in 2000 AD um, a few years afterwards, in part because 2000 AD was successful, was not shut down, and was not censored. Uh, this issue was banned, and apparently after it came back, it came back in a much neutered fashion, which more or less um, spelled the end of action. Kind of a shame. But that banned issue, beautiful. If you are interested, you can find it in digital format on 2000 AD shop. Uh, also in the 2008D category, Stronium Dog, Search and Destroy Agency Files, uh, Volume 2. This uh, discussion that Graham and I did for Snek, our Drock replacement, um, is probably going to be up uh, very, very soon and has been up by probably a week by the time you've heard this. Really incredibly grateful for my uh, co-pod mate, Graham McMillan for coming up with a lot of really great suggestions for things to change things up. For whatever reason, I, I dearly, dearly am so grateful for doing Judge Dredd, the complete case files, uh, the read-through that we do for Drock, and it's introduced me to so much fabulous material, but I was kind of burning out a little bit, so it was nice to take a month off, not unlike the month off that we did to talk about those uh, Fantastic Four comics, um, but this was even better because the material was great. Um, if you've gone and listened to the episode, I, I won't I won't uh, spend valuable time um, re-summarizing all of my points, but just generally, the Carlos Esquerra does the art pretty much for the entire volume. It is fucking phenomenal beautiful black and white art just somehow deeply deeply um idiosyncratic like the guy can draw anything but it's such a beautiful hand-drawn personal approach the cross hatching oh my god the cross hatching but also just you know his, his pencil work and then when he gets into heavier line work with deeply spotted blacks and just an amazing use of negative space. He's just, it's just my jam. And Wagner Grant are doing some incredibly goofy things, but also are doing just um, a very different approach from Judge Dredd, which is to say that uh, in some ways the stories are more narrow in focus in that characterization really doesn't necessarily come into it, but also 
go wild places. Absolutely fabulous read. Um, so big, big, uh, big ups to Astronium Dog Search Destroy Agency Files Volume Two, and again a big, um, big thank you to Graham McMillan. In fact, coming up, I'll have another uh, favorite of the year that I found thanks to him. But before then, Fist of the North Star Volumes One and Two came out this year. Um, that is a manga series from that ran between 1983 to 1988. Very, very uh, kind of influential and. Um, famous slash infamous in manga and anime circles uh, because it's just such an amazing, uh, violent, over-the-top manga. Um, but for me, whew, I mean, separate and apart from the joy of watching, um, you know, our hero break out some new chiropractic move and, and touch somebody in their proper uh, pressure points and have them fold up into a little box and explode. I really love the, the Bruce Lee meets the road warrior kind of setting where uh, our hero runs around in a post-apocalyptic wasteland with one mean motorcycle gang after another. Um, if these things came out any faster, I would read them as absolutely as fast as they came out. My number one regret is that they did not. Hold on a sec. Oh man, I sneezed. Okay, so my apologies. Hopefully that's not going to be a pain in the ass to edit, um, but uh, I did have to stop recording. Anyway, Fist of the North Star. If I could read them all right now, this very minute, I would, but instead Viz is torturing me with releasing these brand new beautiful editions. Um, I don't know, roughly every four to six months. Can't wait for the next one. Terrific reading. Classic G.I. Joe, Volume 5. Again, something that Graham and I uh, discussed as a recent episode uh, that we recorded back when all these December shenanigans came out. Uh, really great. I talk about it at length there. You should go check it out. I do want to mention that you can pick up uh, just about all of those volumes currently um, in digital format on Comixology Unlimited. Just borrow them and read them for free. They also seem to be widely available on services like Hoopla, and it wouldn't surprise me if they're available through something like Kindle Unlimited as well. So definitely go check them out. Uh, I described uh, the G.I. Joe books after reading that volume as kind of being like paramilitary Karl Barks comics, and I, I really stand by that in terms of the depth of researching, amazing plotting, and just just world-class uh, storytelling that Larry Hama brings to it. Um, don't I don't mean to, to leave Rod Wiggum out of it, and the other fine artists of Joe, but definitely Hama is a star and is rightly um, lauded for his work on it. Uh, next, um, the first 13 issues of Wasteland, which I read on DC Universe, um, you may remember us talking about this as well. Wasteland was a series that ran from 85 on by John Ostrander and Del Close with a rotating team of artists. Um, it was an anthology title. So you've just got some amazing work by artists like David Lloyd and uh, uh, Don Simpson and uh, oh gosh, I should really have the info in front of me. Anyway, um, I honestly, the, the title ran for something like 18 issues and I, I was a little, uh, um, what's the word, ambivalent about leaving 
this on the list because honestly, the story start out is fantastic. It's close and Ostrander riffing, trying to do a more modern horror book, but they also move into very weird realms of Del Close's semi-autobiography. Uh, we talk about it on the podcast. Close was a pretty much one of the founding fathers of Chicago improv. So the, the, uh, it's he's, his impact on modern comic comedy is almost inestimable and apparently part of the reason why these comics were getting reissued or um, uh, back in print digitally and I suspect in in print via collection somewhere somehow is because there's an auto uh, there's a biography film that came out I think this year or is coming out soon which I haven't seen anyway um kind of diminishing returns in some ways but absolutely tremendously just a cut above and even still after it starts to feel a little uh, old if you read if you chain read a bunch of issues um they're still prescient and interesting and kind of terrifying I, I think I recommend maybe reading them not one after the other but uh you know kind of pacing it out a little bit so if you've got a dc universe infinite title hunt those up um next enigma uh which came out in 1993 uh graham chloe and i discussed this on air in an episode earlier this year really enjoyed talking about that just came out in new edition from burger books which i'm kind of fascinated to pick up as apparently it has more of the development material um but absolutely just a tremendously uh great reread experience peter milligan and duncan figurito doing a superhero story that is about love and um really queer identity i guess and just absolutely phenomenal and i hope it finds the audience that it really deserves to have here although not all of the elements age perfectly there's still it's there's still so much to it that seems uh so relevant in um for this generation and maybe even the future generations to come just a really tremendous and tremendously odd superhero coming of age book uh as you know i mentioned Brock a few times graham and i read just a ton of judge dread the complete case files it's something like 10 volumes which means it's really close to something like 3000 plus pages of, of dread material um most of it was pretty high uh, quality, particularly in the second half of the year as Wagner writes more and more material. They get better and better artists and things more or less work out. Nonetheless, so uh, I thought I would I would pick my um, three favorite volumes of the year. Uh, the Case Files volumes 24 and 25, which uh, collect The Pit, which is absolutely amazing uh, storytelling by Wagner and Carlos Esquera, in which Dread becomes more or less a precinct captain but it also includes the pack the return of the nightmare inducing sky sharks um and john smith does a story that graham wasn't so crazy about but i really liked uh the dark side which struck me as a huge um incisive look about the nature of um fandom and and how it kills unsurprisingly it's kind of a zombie story 
I also picked out Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files, Volume 27. I don't really remember why in my notes. I just sort of mentioned that it's of the kind of high-quality material that was coming out, you know, month after month after month and gets collected and that we ended up reading. So out of the 10 volumes or so that I read, I picked 24, 25, and maybe 27 is either a starter volume or just a volume where the material was so high without necessarily anything being exceptional that it was just tremendous. Um, And those are from 85 through 88, basically. Uh, Steaming Sniper, the first 16 volumes, I said, sorry, the entire 16 volumes, that runs from 1998 to 2004, kind of like Conan the Barbarian, Giant Size Number 5, this is something that I read previously, and in fact, only just a few years ago, I returned to it this year, Um, it is the story about a professional hitman who retires and moves to become a worker, uh, sort of a menial labor in an onsen, a, a Japanese inn out in the middle of nowhere. And although it teases kind of potentially big uh, sign-in thrills of, you know, guys with guns shooting at one another and naked nubile women in the baths, um, it's really honestly a very gentle story about I don't know, for lack of a better term, kind of trying to find a pleasant place to grow old. Um, June, the sniper, is a guy who ends up being exceptional and standing out in a lot of ways. Um, and everybody wonders what his big deal is. And he has to work and contrive many sort of ways in order to keep his secret from being exposed. In some weird way, it's almost like if you could imagine a Silver Age Superman story in which Superman never appears. And it's just Clark Kent contriving to keep his secret identity and be Clark Kent for the entire uh, issue. Um Maybe not the sort of thrills for everyone, but I think it kind of warms the cockles of a certain type of middle-aged man, which I obviously am, where part of your longing is to have a quiet, normal life, and I do mean quiet, and uh, it it hit very different. I enjoyed it the first time, of course. The reading it the second time, um, uh, now that you know, I bought a house and I kind of live out near the ocean and things are so blissfully quiet out here. Uh, it sort of feels like the series promised something that I wanted that I, I almost like to feel that I have. And, uh, that, that means a lot to me may not be everyone's cup of tea. Again, who wants to read stories where Clark Kent basically manages to hide his identity and never has to show up as Superman, but kind of great. Also, you know, a little conservative seeming, you know, it's, it's definitely a Japanese comic written for older dudes. So there's a lot of things about traditional values and considering the story where it goes through, there's a lot of, uh, post-economic boom and collapse stories and things. So it, you know, it's a little old man, get off my lawn in a Japanese way, but, but I enjoyed it quite a lot. Drowning Love, the first 27 chapters um, I read on Azuki, the new streaming service that launched this year. Most of their stuff that they have is uh, Kodansha titles. Um, It's interesting because that service is one that I very, very much want to support. Um, 
But I am aware, once I started looking around, Conantia, which is very eager to get a toehold in its market and I think pick up as much money as it can, is um, pretty freewheeling when it comes to uh, throwing its manga in at um, streaming services. Like, you can't get their stuff on Hoopla. In fact, most manga is not really represented on a service like Hoopla. But certainly, Comixology Unlimited, I think, may well have most of the volumes that Azuki does. But I enjoy the book uh, tremendously. Um, it is by George Asakura and is a story about a young girl who is on her way to becoming a super worldly model and instead ends up being um, just a just a regular girl in a small town in love with a strange boy who may or may not be a river god. That actually kind of um, oversells it in a way because at least at this point, 27 chapters in, his river godliness is tamped down. It's more of a young adult romance, but... George Asakura is cartooning. Oh my God, you guys, her storytelling is just uh, exceptional. I, I love it. Um, yeah, maybe not for everyone, but I mean, you know, that's kind of my thing. Untold Tales of the Punisher Max, uh, issue number two from 2012. Uh, I really didn't want to include this on this list, but I have to say uh, the Jason Latour story was more, but the Connor Williamson art, oh my God. Ah, an amazing story of the Punisher um, trying to take out a rural crime family that temporarily gets the better of him, but cannot um, get the better of themselves. I don't know, does that make sense? I'm not sure. Uh, Chainsaw Man, chapters 1 through 68. Very hard not to mention this as a new comic, but in fact... Um, you know, Chainsaw Man was published in Japan up into uh, 2020 and um, then is kind of on a uh, hiatus, which um, for reasons that may be talked about maybe in an additional volume, uh, Tatsuki Fujimoto just does insane shit with Chainsaw Man. Uh, it is absolutely just shocking, stunning, stupid shonen comics about a kid who can, you know, uh, has married his heart to that of a chainsaw demon and has to go around killing other demons uh, as part of a, a an elite demon-killing squad and very soonly finds himself up to his neck in um, romance and betrayal and squalor and misery and horror and adventure just stunning stuff weirdly enough chainsaw man doesn't uh, it has elements of things that i've mostly liked okay in some places like for i read chainsaw man and it's hard not to think a lot of stuff like planetary weirdly enough or warren ellis comics where you have acerbic cigarette smoking mentors and um foul mouth sort of punkish young protagonist facing up against trash talking horrific demonic forces um but it all feels so fresh it's so fresh uh the storytelling going on there by fujimoto is um 
I don't know how to describe it. It reminds me a lot of Electra Assassin, weirdly enough. Frank Miller and Bill Sienkiewicz's stuff. Even though the work doesn't look like Sienkiewicz, it's not trying to do any sort of uh, multimedia collage type work or have any sort of um, influences like uh, what's-his-name or that other person that Sienkiewicz is a big fan of, but is really more uh, nailed down to sort of traditional stories uh, manga cartooning but holy fucking shit is it cartooning well just action comics that just pop off the page and and throttle you i love them a pantyhose (coughs) excuse me (coughs) a pantyhose like world this is one that i really should have uh written down and put on here and did not let's see if i can get to the page where it talks about who the author is Absolutely not. Fuck me. Um, It is by Shun Imuzawa. I was able to read this because it was actually on uh, Kindle and Comixology Unlimited. And um, is a a really weird book that you would not exactly expect to see on Comixology Unlimited or Kindle Unlimited. Um, You know, in which the manga tends to be sort of the more, again, Kadancha's stuff. Uh, you know, which is sign-in or shonen type stuff. Penny House Like World is something terrifyingly close to um, indie comics. Uh, a couple of stories about, uh, for the most part, comprise the majority of the volume about it, uh, two horny teenagers and then later two horny adults and that more or less go to great lengths to to pull the veil of propriety off the um, deeply hypocritical world of modern day Japan. Fucking phenomenal. Just really great stuff. Um, Rorschach issues one through eight. Another one that I kind of hate putting on this list, read it through DC universe infinite. So technically it's old to me, even though I think Rorschach only finished publishing this year. I haven't read those issues yet. Uh, it is Tom King. And I want to say, uh, Jorge Fornes. Is that right? Why didn't I do my homework in advance? You guys, I just hate this. Um, I'm, double checking on that and of course it's not doing anything ah thank you search engine you're just the best jorge fornez hey there we go um stories are just month in and month out just really the sort of formalist uh comics that i enjoy king is telling a very very weird story about comic artists comic creations um and misinformation disinformation uh once i think king hit on the sort of genius idea of jumping from rorschach to the question to steve ditko to looking at how steve ditko was viewed in the industry and his own sort of relatively extreme views on ayn rand's objectivism um king's story really begins to pop into a very distressing way that goes in some very strange places that I find delightful and disturbing. And I hope it will end up having something to say seriously about comic book creators and, and, and why so many people in the industry end up the way they do. I'm not sure that it will, frankly, uh, which would be disappointing, but I have to say I haven't reached to the end, so I don't know. Um, 
Graham and I have talked about it a lot on the podcast. Uh, Strange Adventures is sort of King's um, sort of companion title, which is a revisionist uh, telling of Adam Strange with amazing art by uh, Doc Shainer and Mitch Gerards. Almost put that on the list here. I enjoy that one. I don't like it as much, whereas Rorschach is one that I would be talking about all the time if it wasn't for the fact that I feel like Alan Moore um, could and would and probably should punch me in the mouth for doing so. Uh, okay, last one, and then a um, uh, an honorary mention, and then I'll try to get even faster through the new comics, because good lord, you guys. Creature Girls, hands-on field journal in another world, the first three volumes. I won't mention the author because I, if I spend another two minutes looking this up, this whole thing will run an additional 45 minutes. Plus, they're working under a pseudonym. Um, I talked a little bit on the podcast this year about uh, reading a lot more manga this year, particularly through Bookwalker, which is a different um, digital manga service, has a wider spread, less censorship uh, than you get from Comixology or Amazon, so I like it. Um, and that really comes clear in something like Creature Girls, which is an uh, isekai uh, genre book, which is to say somebody dies and ends up reincarnated on another world and gets to use their specialist technology knowledge to excel. And in this particular case, uh, the protagonist who dies has enough knowledge, is enough of a big nerd that he's able to kind of quickly and easily up the technology of the people around him. Um, so on top of being a book in which he runs around trying to bone um, harpies and mermaids and spider women, you also get a lot of hands-on, very fun biological uh, stuff explaining how these humanoid creatures could exist. Um, and also a lot of stuff about, you know, how to make bows and arrows and how a compound bow can do many, many things um, that you would not necessarily expect that will allow you to kick ass in another world. Um, so kind of a weird mix of horny and quote unquote hard science that reminds me a lot of the weirdo days of science fiction back in the seventies, not very well read in the field, but I could always be counted on to pick up some kind of like weird Philip Jose farmer book that was both really horny and really knowledgeable. Um, it, very much, if you like that kind of tradition of things, Creature Girls, a hands-on field journal in another world. I've only read the first three volumes. I know there's more. I'll probably get to them. Um, and then finally, I wanted to give a special shout-out to The Green Lantern, Season 2. I read the Volume 2 of the trade paperback uh, this year. The series more or less wrapped up, I think, in 2020, maybe the early part of 2021, but I'm still listing it as an old book. Not quite strong enough for me to put firmly on the best of list per se, but I had to honorable mention it because the f season one was such a disappointing muddle with a part of one or two sort of great pastiche issues that I really felt that Morrison wasn't really quite doing the service that we'd hoped, especially considering uh, in Liam Sharp, uh, Morrison has found a collaborator that can draw anything and make it absolutely fucking gorgeous. Wow, the art's amazing in this book. But um, season two, particularly season two, volume two, is where things 
sort of congealed like in a weird way it feels like a very personal book in a strangely opaque way for Morrison. Normally I feel like you can read a Morrison work and be like, oh yeah, that's what they're going through. And or uh, Morrison themselves will show up in an, art, in an interview and say like, yeah, this is what I was shooting for. But as far as I know, there's they've kept pretty mum about the Green Lantern and what's going on about it. But it very much seems like a self-reckoning um, buried within a huge uh, attempt to tell a story about one of Morrison's favorite DC uh, Silver Age heroes, Hal Jordan, Green Lantern, um, being reinvented here by Morrison as a character who has to come to, I want to say come to terms with, but frankly, a lot of the book is about the rest of the universe having to come to terms with uh, Hal Jordan. Jordan frequently doesn't learn a lot of the lessons uh, he's supposed to learn in this book. Um, but it kind of ends up being a book about both growing old and growing older and realizing you're non-binary. So it seems a, an intensely personal work for Morrison, while at the same time doing riffs old and new, not just on Morrison's um, mythos that they've worked out for DC, but also again, some of the classic stories uh, throughout that, that Morrison um, loves about Green Lantern. Whew. Okay, so how long was that? That Oh, that is just a stupid amount of time, Jeff. And that's, that's my quote-unquote old best of books, so let me run very quickly through the new books, which hopefully will be sort of faster in part because you can easily look them up, um, but... Um, Anyway, I'm blab, blab, blabbing. First off, Batman Fortnite, zero point, issues one through six. This seems really ridiculous that I should include this, but I had a tremendous amount of fun reading this every uh, issue, which I wouldn't have bothered with if DC Universe Infinite had not um, published each issue as it came out. Um, it really was an attempt for DC to try and... Um, hype their tie-in with Fortnite, you know, some money really must have changed hands there. But as video game tie-ins go, it was kind of great because you get Batman um, and Catwoman stripped of their memories, stuck stuck fighting uh, in, in a, a strange environment with a battle royale of a lot of crazy eccentric creatures, which they end up having to team up with. It's way better than this material has any right to be, and that should be um, really laid at the feet of writer Christos Gage, I think. Although the Fortnite guy who um, co-created the game uh, has a lot of input into the plot, and that seems to work. I have to say, one of my favorite parts was being halfway through Volume 4, reading so quickly that I didn't even really look at the cover and therefore was genuinely shocked when the uh, surprise um, character from not just another title, but another universe entirely shows up to fight Batman. I don't want to spoil it, even though I think any news source would have told you who or what it is, but I really enjoyed it. Anyway, very strange, but there you go. That was the book that I ended up enjoying for a superhero comics this year. Blue Flag, volume six through eight. Uh, eight is the wrap-up of this story, a um, romantic quadrangle of high school students, two of whom happen to be gay. Uh, 
uh, two or more of which should happen to be gay, question mark. Um, I just, I'm a sucker for romance comics. Um, this I thought was done especially well, particularly because, let's see if I can look this up without driving this wrong, because I really feel that the author deserves to be. Kato, uh, K-A-I-T-O, does some truly wonderful things with the storytelling, never more so than in these sets of volumes where partway through the, the romance high school romance genre all, but practically gets deconstructed in that you have characters break through and start really cracking through their pre-established roles in the narrative and questioning both those narratives and really the kind of, um, societal forces at work that make uh make it so hard for people to just be in the world it almost ends up becoming an anti-romance romance comic for all the right reasons uh really just great i i enjoyed blue flag from beginning to end but six through eight are the quote-unquote new ones so that's why they're on the list similarly immortal hulk wrapped up this year so issues 42 through 50 are on my list, but really the entire run by Al Ewing and, uh, you know, his name will for, forever be besmirched with an asterisk, Joe Bennett, and a lot of incredibly talented support people um, brought to the draw close uh, this story of the Hulk, uh, a new tweak on the character in which um, anyone with gamma radiation more or less is immortal and cannot die. But why that is and what's happening behind the scenes is uh, creepy and also similarly immortal. Graham didn't think the ending um, stuck quite as solidly as I did. He thought the series kind of lost its way in the mid-30s. I personally have one of those things of like my only complaint is is that maybe it would have felt a little more um he would have felt that way if the issue run had been either ten issues shorter, which I would have hated, or ten issues longer, which apparently Ewing did not want to do. So, you know, we get what we get, but I think it is a stunning reinvention of the character, uh filled with just considerable intelligence and in its own way does so much that is evocative of Alan Moore and John Bissett and Steve Bissett and John Totalbin's run on Saga of the Swamp Thing way back when comes close to those heights and in many ways trumps it if nothing else being able to do that in Marvel in 2021 seems like uh, an almost huger achievement huger a more huge achievement achievement which is huge and then more i don't know look back uh is a one shot that was published uh on the shonen jump website again by tatsuki fujimoto the chainsaw man artist it um is a biographical slash autobiographical comic about uh two teenagers who start drawing manga um and as is sort of a staple of Japanese manga, become friendly rivals that drive each other to greater heights until they don't, dot, dot, dot. Um, really a fascinating narrative and moves into some uh, unexpected places by the end. Oh, hold on one second. 
uh, moves to some unexpected places in the end. I think there's a lot of people who are a little more up on uh, Fujimoto as an artist, and also in particular why Fujimoto left drawing Chainsaw Man for a period of time that may tie into the sort of very surprising end of this narrative. Anyway, uh, very different from Chainsaw Man, some exquisite cartooning and storytelling, and really captures, I think, what it must mean to be a manga artist, uh, which is just fucking sitting at a table and drawing and drawing and drawing while the world comes by and somehow being smart enough to not fall behind with that world as it rolls past you, but somehow be three steps ahead. Really just amazing. Um, an artist who always feels three steps ahead, uh, Kyle Starks. Did Luis Sprouse Stole My Heart and I Have Two Hours to Get It Back as his free comic book uh, for this year? Um, Starks is just amazing at knowing how to tell uh, an action-packed comic uh, story that is always funny and goofy but has a lot of heart to it, always manages to engage. Um, It feels uh, free-spirited, I guess, in the best way. And Luis Sprouse, which is a little bit in the um, gross point blank genre in the sense that it's about a uh, hitman who ends up uh, under fire and also um, face to face with his uh, former teenage love. Uh, Starks goes very different places with it, sort of just in the sense of, I don't know, it's goofy and amazing and great. Not the gross point blank isn't mind you, but um but it's different, but it's the same, but it's different. I really enjoyed it a lot, and I will actually now stop vamping. Nocturo, one through six. Uh, this really surprised me that I decided to put it on the list, but I kind of felt like I had to. Scott Snyder and Tony Daniel are two of my quote-unquote favorite, maybe problematic fave creators for mainstream comics um, in that I think they are both genuinely committed to um, telling the story that they want to tell or coming up with a way to tell it as a comic book, which means that it is very goofy and over the top. And I really appreciate that. Noctara is a story about a female trucker in a world that has become subsumed in darkness, a darkness that actually turns people into monsters Um, the more time that they spend in it. And thus, the last few groups of humanity are hanging out in areas where they can manage to keep the lights on and (coughs) shuttle supplies back and forth to one another. Uh, So it's a trucker comic. It's a supernatural adventure trucker comic. And a supernatural adventure trucker comic that, of course, like many Scott Snyder things, is uh, seems to be a story about faith, uh, and especially faith and community in the face of overwhelming bleakness. Um, I always, I have to say, I don't, it kind of bummed me out to meet Scott Snyder and find out that the guy has never suffered from depression a day in his life. Cause it certainly feels like most of the stories he tells are practically allegorical stories about, um, mental health. And frankly, they all work for me. I really enjoyed Noctara 1 through 6. Not great comics, but really fun, goofy comics. And, you know, what the heck, they came out this year, so I'm going to include them. 
Okay, what's next? I brought up the wrong list. Um, Reborn is a vending machine. I now wander the dungeon. Chapters 1 through 4. This is coming out in Bookwalker in uh, monthly installments of about 20 pages ago. Most of what uh, we read here in the U.S., unless you're on Shonen Jump and you're reading the installments that come out weekly, or I guess if you're um, somebody on the, the whole down low scans crowd um fan subbing sort of thing most of us read big collections um it's very interesting that they're doing reborn as a vending machine i now wander the dungeon in simul pub chapters but frankly i kind of dig it it apparently i think it already been a light novel as they call it and is now getting its manga adaptation um as I mentioned above with uh, Field Gro- uh, Field Guide to Creature Girls, it is a, also an isekai novel in which the protagonist ends up dying uh, and being reborn as a vending machine in a fantasy world. He has consciousness, he has sentience, he has a bunch of rules that he has to follow in order to be able to keep cranking out um, delicious uh Japanese ramen instant hot cups of noodles and uh corn chowder to Vikings and thieves and adventurers very strange I really love it so far um I part of me I gotta say is I wish there was way more vending machine minutiae than what we're seeing here but there's something that I still find so ridiculously tickling about the Japanese, the very understandable, I should say, Japanese pride that they take in their vending machine distribution network and seeing it manifest in a story in which all you really need for people in a fantasy world to be able to beat back monsters and dragon and and horrific frogmen is the ability to throw a coin in and get some delicious yummy ramen to rejuvenate themselves not really sure that that's how nutrition works but it's such a fun read i really enjoy it also fun six sidekicks of trigger keaton um issues one through six the entire series came out via robert kirkman's uh, skybound this is written by Carl starks and drawn by his collaborator and close friend chris schweitzer uh, I sure hope I have that name right, but I'm not going to look it up. Schweitzer, 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 Schweitzer. Please forgive me. Hold on. Got to look it up now. Yeah, Schweitzer. Uh, I apologize, Graham. If you're editing this, God help you. Cause God help us all, because I think I'm going to end up breaking in an hour, which just mortifies me. Anyway, not unlike Gross Point Blank, a super, sorry, <laughs> Louise Sprouse's being a retelling of Gross Point Blank. This is a super fun uh, action comedy about the former sidekicks of notorious nightmare Trigger Keaton, a uh, an amazingly horrible human being slash movie star who, as he runs through his entire gamut of career from leading man to TV star, leaves a trail of um, abuse and harassment uh, in his wake um, after he's found murdered. It's up to his four former, six former sidekicks to figure out who killed him and why. It sounds goofy. It is. It's also fabulous. Again, I love Kyle Starks' storytelling. Chris Schweitzer does some really great work in this here. I think that he deserves way more love than he gets very idiosyncratic style it almost looks like um 
the underdrawings that you see uh, uh, on comic artists rather than the completed work. And yet somehow it both feels fully finished, but manages to keep kind of that strange kineticism that uh, you see in these underdrawings. So uh, really just great fun stuff. Superman and the Authority. Uh, uh, yeah, I ended up really liking this. I mentioned um, Grant Morrison and his um, very strange uh, issues going on throughout uh, the Green Lantern. Here in Superman and the Authority, uh, they sort of manifest as a potentially more full, more rounded experience. Um, Michael Janin ends up doing the art. Uh, for the majority of the series and I think that helps um, give the story a bit more grounding and so Morrison ends up taking it uh, far more seriously than I think they would have otherwise or at least so they said in interviews it's kind of a strange uh, vestigial remnant of the 5G comics where you had the DC heroes aging up in real time here Morrison and Janin give us Superman the modern Superman as as a super dad of the world who forms a new team to be able to fight the things that he needs um, fighting. Uh, sadly, by the time you get to the end of the issue, sorry, the end of the miniseries, um, the story is more or less ready to begin and is supposedly being picked up over in Action Comics. I guess I'll believe it when I see it, slash read it in DC Universe Infinite. But even as just its own weird Elseworlds story, seeing Superman talk about the values that he wants to have survive him, I guess, um, makes for a very strange and entertaining book, especially as the newly reformed authority includes figures like Manchester Black, who is... As always, super talking the piss, but also a whole new round of figures, not your traditional members of the authority, but almost um, analog characters for those analog characters that end up being something way more modern day, which is to say perhaps very um, fluid and queer in a way that is really encouraging. Ended up enjoying that a lot. Nice House on the Lake, first six issues. Uh, I think uh, really hard for me not to kind of also throw in a lot of qualifiers here. This is James Tinian's uh, horror comic that, of course, is just devastatingly illustrated by... Here I am looking the guy's name up right now because I suck. Alvaro Martinez Bueno. Fabulous fucking work. Man, what a... What a... What a year uh bueno has had does covers does the insides jordi belair covers colors it and belair who is a tremendous colorist and has had many peaks uh in her long career i don't know if it's long but illustrious career may have hit a new career peak here because uh martinez bueno does just exquisite work that uh she exquisitely covers this story which is about a bunch of not quite old friends as much as old friends of friends um, are invited to a lake house for a weekend uh, that happens to be when the apocalypse falls. Um, honestly, I think there's ways in which I wish that Tinian was a little more um, 
dialed down on his narrative. I kind of feel like six issues in, it's kind of ping-ponging all over the place, in part because he may have created, honestly, too many characters for this narrative. But the strange mix of... I don't know, the big chill meets I should know the sci-fi horror novel that I'm thinking of and I can't, so I should just let it go. Anyway, it's it's a fun read with astonishing uh, artwork and each issue has a little undercurrent of dread that um, makes it really enjoyable. It's one of those series that may or may not pan out, pan out so it wouldn't surprise me if like in a year or two you hear me never mention it again. But this year, right now, it's one of those books that I read usually the first when it comes in in my digital inbox. And then finally, to wrap this up, super, super quick, Watakoi, Watakoi Love is Hard for Otaku had a new volume out, volume five. Uh, arguably, that should fall under old because even though it finally was published here in the, in the U.S., um, it, it came out in Japan, I think, last year. In fact, I think the series might have already wrapped up. There's only one volume that's left. Um, I love this story of uh, various nerds who all work in the same company and are friends. Um, honestly, in some ways, it feels more like a very nerd-heavy version of a Japanese version of Friends. Um I just really like it. It's a good feel-good comic. Sweat and Soap. Uh, the first ten volumes are read of this. Somewhere between old and new in that it's still being published, I think, even in Japan. First started being published in 2018, so the majority of it was quote-unquote old. All new to me. Just an absolutely uh, tremendous read for me. Uh, again, a romance comic, so I, I, I'm very in the tank. But what's really nice about it is the uh, the creator, Kanetsu Yamada, goes to great lengths to give us something a little bit new to the, the romance genre formula. This is a story about two people who work at a soap company, the top-end soap designer who is... Um, has a super sensitive nose and drawn to, to scents and a woman who's incredibly self-conscious about her own sweatiness and her own scent, which he smells and instantly falls in love with. And one of the things that's great about it in many worlds is it's very much about something that I think makes a lot of sense for genuine real world romance and where real drama can come from, which is what do you do when the thing that the person who's into you, what they love or what they seem to be interested by is something that you're actually embarrassed and ashamed about. Um, you know, it ends up being a romance about acceptance and how the biggest dramatic impediment sometimes to romance can be self-acceptance. And I think that that's, uh, you know, uh, rom romance comics go and romance stories go to such great lengths to come up with various... Uh, reasons to keep the protagonists apart that always end up feeling kind of hackney and or if you're not careful end up sending out the really wrong or dangerous messages about romantic love such as i don't know don't trust your romantic partner or it's always awesome to be like jealous and insecure you know stuff like that that's important so that you can have two people be in love with one another and still misunderstand each other oh communicate poorly you know 
those sorts of things. Sweat and Soap is great because the characters really honestly care about one another, try to communicate with one another, and are very different people, but you can see the way in which they can complement and supplement one another. I am just two days away from the next volume, volume 10 coming out, no, volume 11 coming out. Couldn't be more excited about that. So there we have it. Wow, did I do it in an hour? Just barely. It's, I've got like 20 seconds left. Maybe longer after Graham edits this stuff out. So there you have it. That's 31 books, uh, my favorite books of the year. I hope that you enjoy them. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. I'm sorry to just that you had to listen to me yammer on and on and on without Graham. Like, I don't really know if you, you're the sort of listener who kind of does this to drown out like loud machine work, or you do it to listen to Graham's soothing tones, but those tones somehow seem more soothing after you've listened to my brash brain or, or how it breaks down. I'm just grateful that you do. Thank you for putting up with me. I'm so sorry this was so long, but, you know, it's the wait what way, and apparently, especially the Jeff Lester wait what way. You all are great. I hope you enjoy the rest of your year. I look forward to talking to with Graham some more in 2022, hopefully for your entertainment. As Graham would say, bye! Hello, Wadnuts. Like Jeff said, he's... His absolutely fucking bonkers December has meant that this last episode of the year is him recording something and then me recording something but it's not just me which is great because I don't like to talk on my own like Jeff for an hour an hour what nuts an hour uh, so instead it's me and it's Chloe hi who's uh, coming apparently it's Glendale from Centaur World <laughs> wow I've talked I have talked about Centaur World in the show yeah. so people will have some idea of what we're talking well, about well ho- I mean hopefully uh, if not, like, we're not going to do TV recommendations, but if we did, Centaur Worlds would be one of our TV recommendations of the yeah. year. <laughs> we're recording this at the end of the week, so both of us are a little bit loopy. Punchy. So you're getting us a little bit loopy and, unlike Jeff, unprepared. Jeff had so much <laughs> preparation done for his that when I said, can you send me a list of your books... So that I can do the show notes. He just cut and paste from his his uh, Excel documents. Which is like actually properly organized in terms of like what is old? What is new? When was it published? None of that professionalism is what you're going to find here. Not one bit. Can you imagine the amount of shit we could get done if we made Excel sheets? Yeah, it's, it's never <laughs> going to happen. It's never going to happen. Also, uh, we are recording... Thanks to the wonder of technology, because the microphone stopped working. So we're just recording using the the MacBook in mic thing. So sorry, everyone. And yet, that's that's uh, just what's happening. So, hi. Happy Christmas. Merry, uh, oh my God, we're all so exhausted. Which I think is how all of us feel at the end of 2021. Yeah, just a little <laughs> bit. As Jeff pointed out, he, you and I are probably going to talk about Christmas comics and or best of the year. However, I know that there's something that you wanted to talk about. Oh my god. Okay. So, I'm I'm still having problems adjusting to the fact that I didn't get to be on the Strontium Dog episode of Wait What? And uh 
I've had, no, there, there is actually like not, kind no, of a mad look going on here, what, though. What nots? You don't, you don't understand that I have, I've been kind of mean mugging Graham about this for for a week. For a week, um, Strong Tube Dog is one of those like like passion pieces for me. Uh, so the fact that I didn't get to scream real loud about uh, Johnny Alpha, my one true love, sorry, Graham, then. Uh, it's, it's the hair, it's, isn't it? It's, it's the hair. No, it's the, it's the piercing eyes, don't you know? <laughs> um, but it's uh, I'm I'm gonna say this because we're not we're not here to do another strong team dog episode. But I am going to say that I am prepared to get absolutely crucified in the spirit. Well, that's Easter. I was gonna say in the spirit of Christmas. <laughs> that's Easter. Either Look, way, I'm Christmas get... is when he's born. Easter I'm, is when he dies. Remember. <laughs> The crucifixion is the end part, Would not the start part. Would you believe that I grew up Catholic? Sometimes I do wonder. No. <laughs> so, I, I fully believe that, that Strontium Dog is what X-Men has tried to be since its conception. And I think that Strontium Dog succeeds in almost every way. The X-Men still to this day with all of the House of Blah, Power of Blah, Excalibur tries to do and tries to be and tries to represent for uh, any other community or a, any kind of revolution for for oppressed peoples and for misunderstood peoples. And, oh my god, Strontium Dog is just, it's the best version of the X-Men. It's not just the British version of the X-Men, it's the better version of the X-Men. I like how you're looking at me to, really to like to be like yeah just just back me up on this. <laughs> I, I think they're different things, but I know that I prefer Strontium Dog to X Men. How about that? <sighs> okay. Will you you're... accept that? Yes. Wow. Well, I that I'll... that was also I very clearly like no, I'll... I will not accept it. <laughs> no, I'll accept that. I just think that I think that um, X Men is one of those stories that has for for decades and decades and decades bit wanted to be. Uh, one of those things where it's like, this is what happens when oppressed people are pushed too far. It's always used. People love talking about how X-Men is a civil rights metaphor for various uh, groups of people. And that's great if you, like, if that's what you want to buy into and if that's what makes you feel good in, a, in reading a story, awesome. Good for you. I also think that they do a shit job of showing that those groups that try to revolutionize and band together and make something fucking happen never fucking happens because they can't manage to ever get their foot in the fucking door. And you know where they went wrong? They didn't have special flowers that made drugs that saved humanity but were never mentioned again. They tried. That, that's what they did wrong. That's what... <laughs> that, also, there wasn't someone who was born ten times or, and something, and honestly, I don't remember the murder mm, stuff. Yes. <laughs> they also didn't have anybody as hot as Durham Red, so... Or Midden Face McNulty. Ah, God! Archibald McNulty. Archie. I wanted to name our dog Archie. Only when I pointed out that was Midden Face's name. I know. It's because I never remember. Uh, I mean, Midden Face is a much better name. One of, I, I've tried for many years to try and convince Graham, because Graham is, of course, bald and Scottish, to just glue little bits onto his head for Halloween. And it's still not happening. Because I'll go as Johnny. I will. I'll fluff up my hair and everything. Ah, it would be so much fun. What nots? If you want to see Graham <laughs> go as Midden Face McNulty to literally a Christmas party that is just me, please leave a comment. 
Oh, shit. But let's move on to the best of the year. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, no. Let's let's all pretend you didn't say that. Because, no, because people will, people will think that's a good idea. Please, no. Can... Merry Christmas, Chloe. <laughs> uh, you have a list of, of favorite comics of the year, which is, again, far, be- far better <laughs> no. than me, who has known this has been coming for a while no. and has no. not put a list together. You're giving me a lot of credit, uh, Graham. You're, you, I wrote, I took a scrap piece of paper and said, oh, fuck, we're talking about best of the year. Um, and me, who can't remember uh, what I did yesterday afternoon tried to remember what I was reading in like March. Um, so you're reading this comics. Is, this this is a, I've read a surprisingly little. I've read surprisingly little like contemporary comics this year. But that's okay. I mean, again, Jeff's thing is is what is what he read this year. Yeah. Right. And you know as well as I do. Like I spent a significant portion of his time. Reading old Superman comics. Oh my god, you spent so much time reading New Fifty Two shit. I did. I did. Uh, I read a lot of new. That uh, insufferable. Well, uh, to, in my defense, I was working on an article about the New Fifty Two. Also insufferable. <laughs> <laughs> also, none of that's going to show up in my best of the year list. So. Ah uh, well, at least you learned something. I did. I learned that uh, Scott Snyder's Swamp Thing is not as good as everyone said it is. Yeah, and how. Sorry, everyone. I've read a lot of Swamp Thing this year, actually. Really? Yeah, it's because I, I was reading the, the Ram V series. Oh, everybody really liked that. And I was like, you know what? Swamp Thing, that's kind of a good thing. I'm going to read other Swamp Thing stories. And that was a mistake. Did you go back to the way back when, the super, like, hyper-verbose... Like, Alan Moore yeah, comics? Yeah, yes. Yep, I did go back to the Alan Moore comics, which probably are still the best. But the Ram V thing is very much in the the same uh, school of thought. I think. Really? Why? Yeah, I think I think it's very much approaching Swamp Thing as uh, a standalone thing in its own right, as opposed to being overwhelmed by the history of it. The way that honestly, everything after Moore was. Yeah. You know, everything after Moore was like, oh, this is the Alan Moore comic. Yeah. You know, and and that was all the way up to like the Mark Miller run, which is just. Oh boy, it's a, it's, it's that's a, a whole other podcast. It is a whole other podcast called "Oh My God, Why Do I Hate Myself?" Although I was reading Thrill Power Overload again the other day, and it made me think of all the Mark Miller Thrill uh, two thousand eight <laughs> stuff, which is from the same period of when he's when he's doing yeah. Swamp Thing, right? And I was like, I kind of want to, you know, if I really do truly um, hate myself in twenty twenty two, read a lot of nineteen nineties Mark Miller stuff. Uh... <laughs> That was very much a look of concern for my well-being. I have to sit next to you in bed while you read this shit. You know what? You just hear me go, no, this was a mistake every night for a few weeks. (laughs) Oh, that's... Why why would you want to do that, though? Like, it's, it's... But you know what? I have also come on this podcast several times and been like, you know what's great? Bad comics. Exactly. Thank thank you very much. See, part of me was like, no, but you know, cannon fodder. Let's revisit cannon fodder. Yeah, yeah, I know. Let's Mm -hmm. not actually revisit cannon fodder. As much as I like uh, Chris Wesson. Oh, Chris Wesson. Dread the Musical. Yes. Dread Dread the Musical would be on both of our lists. Absolutely, it would. For best of the year. Honestly, Chris Wesson getting to to, return to doing a lot of Dread stuff in general, I feel like this year. 
Is that just me? I think it might just be that. What's happened is you caught up with control and all oh, the other things that happened this year. Well, that's because they they actually got finally collected, which yeah. honestly is just easier for my easily distracted brain bits to read. Um, but yeah, and like, Christmas and Drawing Dread is kind oh. of the closest you get to like Bull and Drawing Dread. Oh yeah, it's well. I mean, it's just it's really crisp and it's really really expressive, which is like. Um, also, he, he I, I feel like he does the big boots, which make me. That's super what that's what that's what you want from your your two thousand eight. The big boots. The big boots. But it's, no, like Wesson's dread and and Williams Rob Williams doing dread as well is just yeah. a, a fucking joy always. Every single time, like I, honestly, Williams has become one of like my favorite dread authors. Like in like in the top, just in like dread history. I know that's kind of a bold statement. Sure, but like I think that stands together because I mean, think if you think of what he's done, he's done the small house. Yeah. He did summer trifecta. He did, uh, you know, the the control cycle. Yep. He's done all the sense of plague stuff, which you know, you know shows just, shows he can do the comedy as well as the the you know the serious drama stuff. What's 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 really funny is I feel like Williams kind of combines the best parts of both uh, Wagner and Grant together in one person. That, think, that's a bold I, claim. I, and I, I say that as someone who really loves Williams. No, but... I, I, because I, th- I always, <laughs> okay, I think that, <laughs> I think, let me free, rephrase that. I think that he takes the best parts of Grant and the worst parts of uh, Wagner <laughs> and the best parts of Wagner and the worst parts of Grant and manages to flip flop them and make them into something fun, especially like it's it's like he's it's almost like he's a very very middle aged British man who's done a lot of dread <laughs> reading and uh, knows the strengths of the of the the universe and the character or something. But he is like he's one of the best dread writers yeah, these days. Absolutely. I, and when he shows up now, it's it really is like a, a thing. Even with what Dread Musical was three parts. Yeah, three parts. But it was great. Oh, and it, it was, was like fun. dumb. Well, that's nice though, because like it it kind of reminded me of the old like late seventies, very early eighties dread, which wasn't afraid to be just fucking stupid sometimes. Like it's 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 set in a post apocalyptic, so it's not going to be like lighthearted all the time. It's sure. going to have its dark moments, but it's really new. The dark moments are more nuanced, and they're uh, and and it's okay for it to be like, oh, this is really dark and also dumb. It can be both. I've been talking to you constantly for the past couple of months over how fucking sick I am of people reading comics and taking everything so seriously all the time. And, like, people uh, critiquing things with an air of seriousness that's not only self-righteous, but extraordinarily boring. And so I think that something like Dread the Musical is the antithesis to that, where it's like, yes, embrace the stupid, and it can be this big like, lore-heavy, serious universe, too. It can be both, and you can actually have fun reading this this thing. I'm so glad that you finished Dread the Musical, because there was a point where you started it and you hadn't finished it. And for people who haven't read it, Dread the Musical is the story of Sensitive Clegg, who is the se- the one sensitive member of the Clegg alien race, who are basically, like, T-Rexes on, like, human they're bodies. They're alligators. But, like, they're... they're they're okay. bigger alligators. 
anyway they uh he's one sense of member and he wants to be a poet and when you last saw him he'd gone off to become a rapper yes you know oh my god i <laughs> and now now he came back uh to basically do hamilton for george Trent. <laughs> Which is as dumb as it sounds, but finding out that the villain behind the whole piece, spoilers everyone, but I promise you this isn't really spoiling anything as much as just telling you why you should read it, is like the shark-headed businessman from Trifecta's (laughs) son, who's also a shark-headed businessman. (laughs) And the end of it is, Santa Clay gets arrested and says, oh, the Clegmanity, and it cuts to an inset panel of the shark-headed In- businessman. Enormo Overdrive 3. Yes, of course, that's his name. Yes. And um, it cuts to an inset panel of him going, shark bar, TM. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the end of it. That's, I mean, thank God for comics like that for real, right? Well, it's, it's just a joy. It's... <laughs> Rob Williams still, oh, though. But, but yeah, keeping on with Rob Williams. Uh, so I went through and easily on my best of kind of a cumulative thing over the past, like, what, four or five years is um, Rob Williams doing Roy of the Rovers for 2000 AD. Which I just, like, read this year. Yeah. And, like, Roy of the Rovers not one of those properties that I'm super familiar with like it's something that i've touched on but i really do like i'm like uh soccer um because i just i i couldn't give less of a shit about sports comics for the most part um but of course graham starts reading it and he's like okay but you need to try reading this and i ended up reading through like like and you you didn't stop you were like well i finished book one but now i have to read book two i I was like oh fine i'll try roy of the rovers like i'm not i'm all here for all ages and young adult comics and everything but uh soccer i just i just don't care but graham insisted that i try it and i got through the first book and then i just could not stop reading and like i ended up mainlining all what five seven seven okay (laughs) all seven volumes and granted they're they're short they're like 60 pages combined but it's one of those uh i i don't know it's 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 i was just really surprised it's it's one of those treasury of british comics properties that has just uh god bless them bored me to tears with some of the stuff that they put out in the past Wait, um, the the new stuff or like no, the, the, no, the, the like the, the classic stuff? Yeah, the classic stuff. Because I, I've, I, you know me. I'm basically trying to read the entire. Like my life's goal is to read all is, British comics ever published. Is to read like every British comic that I can possibly get my hands on. And Roy of the Rovers has bored me to tears. It's bored my tits off. It's bored my left toe. It's bored everything. And so it was really really nice getting to read this version because it's really sweet and it's wholesome in a way that's like super rewarding and really cute <laughs> and the artwork's adorable like the cartooning is really fun until so. the most recent volume <sighs> when, uh, okay so Roy the rovers in the 1980s well it went from like the 50s through to like the 90s or something and it was this weird thing where it was basically like three page installments every week and so you didn't get much of forward development at all and the art was shall we say serviceable yeah, <laughs> yes. Right? Serviceable is good. And then for the most recent volume of the new series, which is really fun, like I genuinely loved it as well. 
Uh, they brought back one of the artists from the 80s, which I can see the appeal of it from a, like, oh, look. Oh, for a nostalgic it's, thing, yeah. it's interesting. But it does not fit the new material. Ooh. And it's, it's like, you actually do reach there and go, oh, 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 is this what's happening? Oh, and I'm trying to think of a nice way of saying it, but for some reason, everyone all of a sudden seems like they have inflated fat heads. <laughs> you, you're cracking up on this, right? It's like everyone's head got weirdly inflated. <laughs> Everybody looks like the Gerber baby. <laughs> and I'm like, bless him. Like, bless the artist for, for being in, like, working into his, like, 80s or 90s, however oh, yeah, old he yeah. is. But, like, when you compare it with what's happened in the previous six volumes, it's such a tonal jump. Well, it's a, um, it's one of those legacy things, right? <clears throat> it's like, oh, it's really, really cool to see... Like, a legacy artist come back, especially since Roy the Rovers was still pretty popular during that period where, where he was yeah, yeah. on the book. So, in that sense, it's neat, and it's a cool little kickback, but before that, and I would love to actually remember the name of the artist uh, artists on the previous volumes, because I really Is one like... of them not called Lisa Hedka or something like I that? I have no idea. Um... We can put it in the notes or something. Yeah. Um, but, like, all of their artwork is just, it's so, it's very YA. Like, mm. very, very young adult comics. Very cartoony. Very, like, dynamic and movement forward. And then you kind of go to, like, this very, very specifically, like, nineteen mid-1980s British comics, which is, like, really stiff and kind of action figure And everybody looks like an adult baby. And, like, <laughs> and there's just not, um, there's not as much movement. And honestly, even as somebody that doesn't give a fuck about sports, like, if I'm reading a sports comic, I kind of want to see the movement in, in well, the, that, the body. That's, bodies that's one of the things like that was that. so nice about the earlier volumes. The, it was so dynamic. Mm -hmm. Like, it was one of those things where the, the artwork follows the dynamism and not laws of physics. Which I think works when you're doing a sports comic. Oh, honestly, I think it's better. Or honestly, when you're doing a comic that is based on a movement, you know? And then you have, like I said, like the static art instead that is is not... It really just does not fit as well, which is a shame. Despite that, everyone, if you haven't checked out Ride of the Rovers, at least the first six volumes it, yes, is, absolutely. is super fun sort of soap opera comedy stuff. Yeah, well, also, like, in, we can't t talk too much about this because I might be doing a thing for Neotech's review on this, but it's very Ted Lasso. Yeah. It's very Ted Lasso. But, like, Ted Lasso, if you're, like, if it, coming of age Ted Lasso, that's a good way to put it. I feel that's an Apple TV show that they're going to be announcing, like, a year from now. Oh, my God. What if they do, like, Ted Lasso but Muppet Babies style? <laughs> yeah, yes please yeah also uh, what not what you don't know is that she actually grabbed my leg to emphasize how important that was <laughs> but Muppet baby style grab and it, it's Coach Beard is the mother that you only ever see the ankles of <laughs> oh no oh, oh getting no. off track no no we're on track it's great you had a bunch of other British comics that, like let's just, let's just get through your British comics that oh, you have on, on um... the list Let's see. Uh, I mean, I had to, I did a lot of John Smith stuff at the beginning of the year, which I've I've kind of touched on because we talked about Enigma, of course, on a previous. Uh, which on, is Peter Milligan. Yeah, which is Peter Milligan. No, because it was uh, we were talking about the Enigma stuff, but I ended up talking a lot about 
the John Smith stuff too, because it's all very queer. Yeah, no, he, about, John, like, John Smith was co- uh, British Comics' lead queer in yeah. the 1980s and 90s, yeah. Um, so like Firekind, Straightgate. Fire, you hadn't read Firekind before, right? I hadn't read Firekind, and that was the weirdest fucking Dances with Wolves, but better. Um, and unlike the original serialization, all of the story pages were in the right order. Yeah, I love that. Because when they did it in 2008, they missed an episode, which is really? still still one of my favorite <laughs> things ever. Uh, when they serialized Firekind, so Firekind is basically Avatar, but it was published like 15 years before Avatar came out. Well, and Avatar was Dances with Wolves. Come on. Okay, it's but it's it's dude goes native on an alien planet with uh, with dragons. Is is Firekind's plot? It's basically. horny and very drugs. It is really horny, it's isn't it? So it's exceptionally horny. horny. Um, <laughs> But when it was being serialized in 2008, they missed an episode by mistake. And no one noticed because <laughs> everyone was like, John Smith just like writes wacky shit and does time lapses. <laughs> and no one noticed. And then afterwards, when the serial ran out, when it finished, they ran the missing episodes. And they were like, funny story. You might have wondered what happened. It's because we missed an episode by mistake. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Okay, but can we talk about how it's a, a, a detriment and a testament to John Smith that, that no people were just like, oh, fuck, this is really good, even though they had no idea there was a missing part. Yeah, but like you've said before, John Smith's appeal is not his plot, per oh, se, gosh, no. but his language. Yeah. John, John Smith's dialogue, John Smith's captions are amazing. Well, that's like the stuff with... Um... What is it? Uh, the the uh, the time traveler guys, the Indigo Prime. It's like all the Indigo Prime stuff mm-hmm. that I like so much because mm-hmm. it's like, oh fuck, I have no idea what is happening in this comic. Not a clue. This plot lost on me. Me clueless. Two brain cells just bumping against each other trying to make this work. But I really don't care because I feel like I'm reading poetry. Yes, it's just beautiful. Yes. Which, honestly, that makes me sound like such a happy little simpleton, but <laughs> I'll take it, though. Uh, okay, what else? Hooligan's haircut, I know, is on uh, your list. Hooligan's haircut is always good. I now can't you... talk too much about Hooligan's haircut of right course, now. Of course, because you're also writing something up for something for I'm that. doing a, spe- uh, you can't, doing you a can't... special thing. Yeah, it's been you can't... announced for 2000 AD. Yours truly is writing stuff, but... Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm just like, oh, fuck you. Yeah. Uh, dreadnoughts? You have opinions on Dreadnoughts. Too. I like Dreadnoughts a lot. A lot, a lot, a lot. Uh, dreadnoughts is the comic spinoff of the Judges Pro series. The Judges Pro series is a prequel to Judge Dredd. It is by like... Michael Carroll. Yeah, by Michael, by Michael Carroll. And the novels are written by a bunch of people, but yeah. with Michael Carroll sort of reading on. Carroll's the one who writes Dreadnoughts. John Higgins is the one who draws it. Uh, and it's set, like, not even that far ahead, no, like, 30 set, or 40 it, years ahead? Oh, gosh, no, it's set, like, 13 years ahead or something like that. Oh, and no, it's set uh, It's set 16 years before uh, where Judge Dredd starts. Oh, well, in so that case... So it's 30-some-odd years before After Us. Yeah, something it's like ma- that. It's math years ahead. <laughs> it's at some point in the... It's that whole uh, 20 minutes in the future thing, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's... It's not so futuristic that you don't recognize it. In fact, it just looks like today. And in fact, the first episode basically starts with something that could have happened last year. Yes. Starts with like a riot that the police put down with too much force. Um, and and falls the point of view of, of a judge who is this in the reality of the series is this newly set up sort of uh, extracurricular police force, yes. I guess. 
Like, they, they are outside the police, and the police don't like them because of this. Um, it's really fun. Sounds like a weird thing of saying it. Fun is a weird way. It's a very strange way of putting it. I think it's that it's... The um, world building is fun. Yes. Uh, well, I mean, it's... Uh, I think I think that Dreadnoughts is particularly special. Uh, well, obviously, just because it's, it's extraordinarily well written and the artwork is pretty fucking stunning. But... I think it's special because it's, um, nobody likes prequels, really, especially when the main property has really become something beloved. And, like... You take that back. Jar Jar Binks. For um, life, but life as a why. Misa tell you to absolutely eat a dick. And so... With with dread being what it is and where, and where dr the dread story started, and especially where they've come... It's such a risky move, I think, to try and do a story that is a, here's a lead up to Judge Dredd. Mm -hmm. um, because not only are you balancing 40, what, 45 years? 40, yeah, 45 40, next 40, year, yeah. 45 years next year of, of history with a character, but you're also trying to reckon with everything that's happening right now. Because it is one of those creepy things where you you look at all of the um, the riots and the Black Lives Matter stuff, and you go, "Oh yeah, no shit, this is exactly how, like, proper judge, jury, and executioner as the police status begins." And uh, I think that that it's a just a risky move to try and link all of that together, but it's one that makes sense, and I don't think that anybody but Michael Carroll could have really pulled that off. Because I think he's really good. He's he's somebody that's worked within the Judge Dredd universe before, and is familiar enough with it, and is of course steeped in all of the 2000 AD ness of yeah, it all. Yeah. So I think that he was just the right person doing it at the right time. Mm -hmm. um, it's weird though. He says he wrote he wrote it before last summer. But when you no, but that's just it. But when you read it, you're like, oh, this is about summer 2020 yeah. in the US. Like, that's, it feels very much like that's what it's about. And apparently he wrote it, like, the year before, which is crazy. Well, it's, I mean, either, regardless, it's not like last year was something new, right? No, it, was just, just, it, it just was, was so was, evocative. That, that was just a fulcrum point. And so I, I, I think the fact that he wrote that, and honestly, managed to write it so delicately into the Judge Dredd universe speaks volumes Carol's just really good. He's though. really fucking good. Really super nice guy too. Yeah, because you talked to him. For yeah, a, a no, I, piece, right? Yeah, I had to interview him. He was kind enough to answer a bunch of questions uh, that I did talking about Judge Dredd as an example of the beginnings of police brutality. Ironically enough, which was right before Dreadnoughts, uh, Dreadnoughts came out. Yeah. So look at you. Ooh, You're on the same page. Finger on the pulse. <laughs> Okay, what else is on your... your I'm trying to think... Because I'm playing for time by being... You tell me your favorites, because I can't remember my favorites. Well, now I'm going to make you... Okay, fine. I'll tell you one more. Cyclo okay. Cyclopedia Exotica, which I actually put on my... Because uh, I helped do the Polygon Best of Comics list this year. And Drawn and Quarterly is forever and always one of my favorite publishers in comics, period. Every time, every season, because they seem to publish things quarterly for the most part. Well, ha ha ha. Um, <laughs> that, ju that just got to you, <laughs> oh, didn't shit, it? shit, it just clicked. <laughs> um, uh, 
I, like, they consistently have books out that just blow me away and are stunning and beautiful and by people whom I would have normally never heard of and they put out some of the most um, thought-provoking and funny and just touching. touching and shockingly beautiful comics that I have seen consistently every year. So, but Cyclopedia Exotica is the one that really stuck out to me this year because um, it's the same person who did Woman World. Who, honestly, that was a book that was on my best of list last year as well. Um, and Arminder Dalliwell? Am I getting yeah, your name right? I hope we're saying that correctly. But she... Uh, She's also a writer in Centaur World. To yes, link it all together. Yes! But she, her, like, her cartooning's just really super fun. And the, the book is essentially from the perspective of um, a bunch of different Cyclopses uh, who kind of represent... The Cyclops culture and community kind of represents um, whatever whatever oppressed people you want them to be. Like, whatever you identify with, you can kind of read into in this book. Um, and it goes so far as to show, like, the, you know, first Cyclops on the cover of a Playboy and... You know the fashion from the 1960s, where Cyclopses, who only have, uh, who are born, of course, with only a single boob, uh, can have a separator to make it look like they have two boobs to better assimilate into non-Cyclops culture. And it's all of these little tiny details, and it sounds like super serious when I kind of describe it that way. And again, it's kind of dumb. But it's kind of silly, and it's. Um, I think that it is a an inclusion story and uh, a really great way for people to be seen and honestly a good way to talk about like the um, commodification and all the different ways that, that uh, like oppressed folks and, and minorities have to go through the world just trying to live a fucking life, you know? Just trying to exist and everybody's trying to sell you stuff to make you... Like somebody fit else in. to yeah. make you fit in or, you know, you're just trying to be yourself. And guess what? Somebody thinks you are porn. You as a person are porn. And like, there's just, um, but while that all seems like super self-serious and everything, it's, it's a little lens into the lives of all these different Cyclopses and, um, how they're trying to get along. And it started out as a, an Instagram strip on her thing, just like Woman World did, that she ended up collecting through Drawn and Quarterly. And it's it's just a joy. It's silly, and it's funny, and her cartooning is hysterical. And it's just, it's meaningful in a way that doesn't feel, um, it doesn't feel as ham-fisted as I think a lot of, um, a lot of inclusion stories tend to be. I think that, that those sorts of those sorts of comics are extraordinarily important for people to feel seen. I know that I feel seen in a lot of them. But sometimes you don't want to have to... Well, sometimes you I, don't want a very special episode of your favorite sitcom. Pretty much, right? yeah. I don't want the, you know... Because, again, in a, in, a, in a way, that feels like um, a commodification or a um, being made into a... Um, Come on, help me out here. <laughs> I want to know where you're going. Like, are you, are you saying, like, being made into, uh, like you said, fetishization, like, being made into an object, being made into something that like, does not have, like, a 
feelings and, and, and internal Either life that themselves. Or, or it's like, this is a story about a non-binary <clears throat> person, and this non-binary person represents all non-binary people. Or, you know, uh, this story is about a black character, and therefore they now represent every black person's experience, etc., etc. You get mm. what I'm trying yeah, to say. Yeah, no, no, I do, I do. And... So, again, those stories, super important. A lot of people see themselves in them, and there's a lot of value to it. But it is also nice to get a story that's kind of loosely based on an experience that everybody can kind of identify with and go, oh, yeah, no, this can be stupid, too. This doesn't have to be this super serious topic all the fucking time. Well, one of the things that's great about Cyclopedia Britannica, Cyclopedia Britannica is a totally different book, and it's very much more, uh, it got something stuck up its butt. Um, Cyclopedia Exotica is because I like that's probably on my list as well. Yeah. Is you get a, a multiplicity of experiences, right? Yeah. It's not it's not one cyclops. It's multiple cyclopses who have different experiences and mm-hmm. who are talking about them in like if you can imagine a Bechdel test for cyclopses. Yes. Right. Like this book would pass that, and that's yes. one of the joys about it that it's not. Uh, it's not a, a book where it's like, well, this is a very serious thing about all our tragedies. It is sometimes just about the, you know, we are both cyclopses. We both have very particular experiences, but we're also just really pissed off because we can't get this sandwich. Yeah. You know, and like that level of layers of experiences and how it impacts things big and small and how different people's experiences are, are different. I yeah. think is what gives it a depth. And honestly, even though it is dumb and it is a really fucking dumb book at times, <laughs> that all works in its favor because yeah. it's still making a serious point, but the point feels more real. Yes. Right? Because because everyone has, you know, uh, like intense experiences, uh, heavy experiences. Everybody has to work through. But everyone also has dumb experiences. Absolutely. right? Everyone also has like just silly shit that they care about or that they don't care about but irritates them or, or whatever. And that's one of the things that that book does really well. Yes. It makes them feel real by giving them this, like, you know, they are dealing with things big and small at the same time. Yes. You know, it, it's, it is. It's a really good book. I liked Woman World a lot. But I think Cyclopedia Exotica is better. Yeah, it felt like a, it felt like a, um, I don't want to say a step up because I actually really enjoyed Woman World, but I would say a step... Uh, is there a, a diagonal step? Is it like step, up and a sideways? Step? Is it like... <laughs> it's a side step. It's a... Are you going to a dance routine? It's sideways, but also up. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's, that's diagonal. Congratulations. And you are a professional writer. How's that working out for you? Oh, no. Okay. I've, I've got to think about things. Yeah, you got to. Um, I see the problem is... I've written about like Rorschach, yeah, uh, and Strange Adventures already this year, um, but both of those I think are really good. And as I've said, I think it's in the variety thing I wrote. Um, they seem, and I said this on this podcast for that matter. Um, they seem like books in conversation with each other, and I feel sure. like if you're reading both, then you get more out of both, right? I th- I think you I think they're King is writing, uh, writing about the same topic from different viewpoints. And has not decided where he is. Oh, that is on this so. Yet. That I, I feel it's like, so him. I feel like that's extremely uh, every Tom King book. <laughs> yes, I yes, that's true. 
I know, and for that matter, like, which is I, not a bad thing. I'm no, not saying that is a bad. I, thing. I, I, I'm, what's also interesting is I think Rorschach actually leads really onto Human Target, uh, which really? is much more lighthearted, much more of a romp, but it's also a detective story with a certain amount of ambiguity, and I feel like he's literally going. I've done this really heavy, dark detective story that goes to a very dark place in the end. Uh, I want to have the detective story, but it's it's kind of a romp. It's kind of like a, a Richard Stark book, right? Yeah. And so then he go, he's like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna Westlake it up, and but I'm also gonna have Justice League International in it. Here's Human yeah. Target, you know. And Human Targets, it's only had two, had two issues out, but they're fucking great. Oh my god, just the, the Greg Smallwood art alone oh, is, is so lovely. I, uh, I mean, it's never really come up on the podcast, but I would, I would uh, kick my mother in the face if I could just look at like mid-century 1960s style artwork uh, everywhere all the time. So the covers for Human Target have been me just kind of standing in front of uh, either one of our laptops. Just going, going, oh. going, oh my fucking god. <laughs> so. No, but it is like, King's had a really good year. And yeah. it's funny, because I think King is now very much on the outs in terms of, like, popularity. And, or, oh, or, I, yeah, very you know? much so. Which um, is a shame, because I think this this has been a really fucking strong year for him. I like his Supergirl as well. I feel like... It's, uh, yeah, I know, I know. I, I'm very I, much I, in the minority of that one. Yeah, uh, hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, think, I think that I... You're like you're like I, no, I disagree. I, no, I have a I have complicated feelings about King. I actually I really like his work. I think that um I think that he is finally starting to pivot uh into doing something different for him. Um but I think it's a really slow process. I think that he is starting to learn how to not write the same story, if that makes sense. I think he's learning to take other perspectives. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that also comes with, and this is of no uh, offense to Mitch Dredds by any means, I think that might also come from working with different artists for a change. Yeah, I can see that. Um, And having to to work with different personalities and and, and work with... um, the way in which your story is going to be told visually can so much impact how I think that you're going to write it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think he, I think he's learning how to, how to morph away from the uh, same old, same old that he's kind of been doing for a while. Yep. Uh, but I think that a lot of people expect it to move a lot quicker mm-hmm. and it's just not. And I think it's going to be very much a gradual process until maybe uh, the next book that we see from him hopefully is something even more adventurous the, from... The joke about this is literally they announced yesterday he's doing another Batman comic. Oh, fuck. Just shoot me in the face. We will, like... but not until we finish this podcast. <laughs> uh, also in the realms of books that looks really fucking good, Nice House on the Lake is... I still haven't gotten to read that. But it is visually... It's great, first of all. It's really good. But visually, because I've shown you pages from yes. it, and you've just been like, oh, oh, look at that. Look, yes. it's pretty. It's... Again, Jim Sannon's been a writer who's had a really interesting year. Yeah. His Batman stuff, I think, was actually super strong in the end. Although I think, again, I might be on the minority. Yeah, I think you're. That. I think you're on the the lower end. Yeah, of I'm, the I'm on the outs. Um, but Nice House is really, really strong work. It is very much of its genre, yeah. which I say is a compliment and not an insult. But for people who have, 
People who grew up with Lost know exactly what Nice House is. To the point where, by the time you get to the end of the first collection, or what will be the first collection, you were expecting a twist. Because of course you were. It's the end of the arc. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And the twist comes and it's a nice twist. But you knew it was coming. You knew yeah. the, the rhythm of that kind of story let you know, you're going to get something by, you know, by the end of issue six. Something's going to happen. That it works so well despite that, I think, is a, a really, a really nice yeah. thing. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, Many Deaths of Layla Star. Oh, yes. Many Deaths of Layla Star is a fucking great Because uh, Ram V is a fucking dynamo. My God. Yeah, but, uh, who draws that? Philippe Andrade? <laughs> I'll have to look. He because the artwork in that as well is just fucking amazing. The colors. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful looking. Uh, I'll try it again. It's a beautiful looking book, but it's also just a great read. It's really inventive as well. It, it is Felipe Andrade. You were right. Look at that. Sometimes the brain works, um, but it is. It's such an inventive book, which sounds like I'm damning with faint praise, and I'm not meaning to. It's just that I think at this point, there's such like an expectation of how you deal with. Uh, cosmic entities or existential concepts mm-hmm. that I think he breaks away from. I think he pre- presents a new way of approaching these things that is just like, oh, this is lovely. Uh, I might get damned for saying this, but I think that at least how my brain kind of processed the storytelling, it's very Milligan plus. Yeah, I can see that. It's very like l- like mid to late 90s Peter Milligan at the height of his career and then better. And to be fair, you're enough of a Milligan fan that that's that's like a big compliment. Oh no, I think I think that <laughs> I think that Ram V getting to tell these larger, um, more cosmic stories, more supernatural stories um, that really get to the heart of thing of of existence, I guess. Well, I mean, like, yeah, but that's just it. This is dealing with a very cos like mm-hmm. a very cosmic existential idea. You know, about yeah. about death and about what death means and about the importance of death and, mm-hmm. and how we approach death. Mm-hmm. But it does it in such a way that it turns into this, you know, very personal human romance almost. Yeah. And, you know? And I, uh, I mean, it's it's also really just the, they said it in India, which is uh, just shockingly beautiful the way mm-hmm. they go about Portraying but again, enough of Mumbai, an again yeah. enough of an oddity in in yeah. contemporary Western comics. Yes, um, but it was. I mean, it's just it's it's beautiful and the and of course you know it's 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 Ram, so so he likes to include this sort of stuff. But a lot of uh, a lot of Hindu lore, mm-hmm. a lot of um, Hindu gods and goddesses, and the inclusion mm-hmm. of all that just makes it like really uh, just a really really strong project. It's just it's. It's shockingly beautiful, and it does tie you in. And honestly, you you get to the final issue, and you're just kind of... Um, it's a comic that you definitely have to take a moment. I had, at least I had to kind of take a moment just to soak into the last couple of pages of it and be comfortable with it. Because it is... Um, it's, it's macabre in its own way, but it's also really hopeful in the way that... Um, I think big discussions on things like the importance of death just make you feel yeah it, it's it's a very complex book yes that reads so easily though. yeah do you know what i mean like you don't feel like it it is you know you, you said milligan it is like the best of vertical from the yes, 90s absolutely you it know is. in that it is big big ideas but hidden in like a romp yeah 
You, you love know, using a romp. I love that's romp. That's the day. That's I, the word I, of the day. It's I'm trying romp. to think of another romp to, to, to continue this. Oh, something completely out of the blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chips and Darcy's Daredevil is is great. Yeah? It's not a romp. It's not. <laughs> it's, it's Daredevil. Daredevil's not a romp. Daredevil doesn't romp. He doesn't romp at all. Poor he should Maddie. romp. He deserves a romp. He does deserve a romp. Give that man a romp. Um, but no, Daredevil is super, again, fun is not the right word, but it is the right word. Uh, Zdarsky, at his best as a writer, again, goes for subjects that you wouldn't think he's going to approach with those characters. Uh, he did Marvel 2 in 1. Yeah. It was, it was Human Torch and the Thing. Mm-hmm. And that was great. <laughs> you know, and that was, that pretended it was a book about looking for the Fantastic Four, but it really wasn't. It was a book about lying to your best friend. Yeah. Right? Um, and Daredevil has turned into a book about what if Matt's been wrong all along and the criminal justice system is is bad? Mm-hmm. You know? And how's he get there? It puts him in jail. And it has him going, no, I did something wrong. I should serve time. And then being like, jail's terrible. Well, it's... Prison is really bad. Well, it's kind of nice because it's, um, it's a story that is... A lot of people are trying to do, I feel, superhero stories from the, oh, wait, justice justice system, bad, cops, bad. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. A lot of people are trying to do that because it's what's timely right now. Yeah, and yes, honestly, yes. they're important conversations when it, when you're dealing with superheroes yes. and a, a system of justice and all this shit. But um, I think there's ways to do it that are really uh, interesting and mm-hmm. more and less ham-fisted than... Uh, I was trying to think of a good example off the top of my head. I can't. Um, <laughs> but if no planning. Like, That's if, us. Zdarsky is nothing if not really good at being... Um, I don't want to say subtle, because I feel like he's anything but subtle. I think his, I think his work, his, his writing is really subtle. And I think that what, that's what works. Because he completely distracts you by being not subtle. And then you realize, shit, he did all yeah, this I and I wasn't paying attention. That's kind of that's kind of what I'm getting at. It's it's um he's very sneaky. Yeah, he's very uh, sneaky. He's very sneaky. And he's very humanistic. Yeah, and I appreciate both of those. And I also realized that, like, I guess I really like Daredevil. <laughs> Is that just occurring to you? Yeah, because I always thought like Daredevil wasn't for me, and like I like this run so much, and I like this run so much in part because. I find Matt a really interesting character, and I was like, fuck, I guess I like Daredevil. Gosh, I haven't read any Shit. Daredevil in ages and ages and the ages. Zdarsky, the to... Zdarsky run is something you would I, absolutely fucking love. I remember reading some of it, and then I just never picked it back up, and I can't remember why. Which really, we're just like, Jeff and I said this the other day when we did a, a, a wait, what? That he also like was reading it and was enjoying it, and then just stopped, and he doesn't know why. Oh my gosh, there have been so many <clears> comics, um, honestly, especially from like the big three publishers, mm-hmm. um, that I have started this year, and I feel like uh, you're my like brain... they were fine, and then you stopped. Yeah, like my brain just goes, "This was neat," and then just I just move on, and or I like ha I come back. Yeah, I say, "Oh, I guess I'm caught up. File that away for later. I'll come back when there's more issues." And then I just never do, mm-hmm. which is like, oh, that's see, that's what I kind of miss about um, having a dedicated comic shop and a pull list and shit. Yeah. yeah. I, I say that as somebody who has not had a dedicated comic shop and pull list for like five years now. Yeah, that's the problem with reading digitally. I don't know if you guys can hear this on the recording, but uh, an animal, I think is a cat, is trying to get in the room and is making a lot of noise out there. And it's very distracting, to be honest. 
Let's still talk about Marvel. Al Ewing's um, Guardians of the Galaxy. I know Jeff. You really enjoyed. I know that. Jeff talked about his Immortal Hulk, which was great. Don't get me wrong. Guardians, I think, was slept on, and it's such a shame. Al Ewing's Guardians run was so good. What 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 made it stand out for you? Um, it again was it was Ewing embracing the superhero of it all, and it was also Ewing uh, embracing like a a kindness about it. Um, he he deals with a lot of uh, sort of leftover continuity that no one ever really sort of closed the closed the loop on. That's what he's good at. Um, but does it in such a way that it's very kind. There's a resolution to why do we have two moon dragons in the Marvel universe that is is utterly a feint. It, he looks like he's setting it up to be a fight between the two of them. And the one who is quote unquote better, the one who comes from the superhero universe, is like, no, I'm here to rescue you. Because I'm a superhero and you're me and that's what I that's what that's what I that's what superheroes do. That's what I should do for you. I should be kind to myself. I'm going to rescue you. Oh, I like that. Um he also redoes Star Lord's origin mm-hmm. by basically doing what Engelhart meant to do like forty odd years ago. Uh and turning him into like a super powered cosmic hippie, which is Fun. fucking great. Um, oh, yeah, that's no, way better. No, it's really, it's it's really, really fun. It's 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 a really fun inventive run that like just got fucking cancelled. It's such a shame. They like he gets like issue fifteen. They're like it's the new beginning of the book, and then it gets cancelled like three issues later. And you're like, but it was the new beginning. Why why I, did you do a new beginning if you just were gonna stop? Alluing is somebody that I feel like this year has has. Uh, really, well, honestly, within the past couple of years, has really accomplished quite a bit, and just keeps getting done dirty in ways that are just not <laughs> not nice. Especially considering that, that, like, apparently he's just such a joy to talk to, and yeah, such it, a kind and 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 giving and gentle person. Well, I think you can see that in his work, oh, right? Like, Marvel Hulk is is all about again the kindness. It's all about the importance of of, of like being kind and, and of forgiveness. You know, in the same way that, honestly, I think his, his Guardians ends up being. Uh, and it, uh, and so I 100% believe that, yes, he's, he is, like, a very kind, like, empathetic human being. Uh, but no, his Guardians, I think, was slept on by people. And it's such a shame. I, th- I think it's a really, really, really good comic. Um, I'm, I'm legitimately running out of things. Oh, Nightwing. Tom Taylor's Nightwing. Okay. Uh, I know. You're not convinced. <laughs> uh I I think it's a very fun superhero comic. Again, I think I was saying this to you just the other night. Like, it's not going to rock your world. It's not going to rewrite superhero comics at all. But it's a very fun, well-done superhero comic that, again, has a kind hero at the heart of it. You know? Mm -hmm. Tom Taylor is a writer whose work I like a lot. A lot, a lot. He's also a writer that, based on what he's doing in Nightwing and what he's doing in the Superman book now is for whatever reason wrestling with the why don't superheroes do more to like help social causes yeah it's uh, and that's mm, that's yeah that can be that can be problematic that's well uh, you know what there's my example that i needed earlier when we were talking about daredevil where it's like, <laughs> uh, where, where it's like some of these some of these books are a little um a little too on the nose for me a little too like unsubtle and, and yeah, yeah, ham-fisted yeah. and just like really in your face um, oh, yeah, and, and like, you know, seeing future covers of Superman where he's standing beside Aqualad and it's like, a climate change now. It's like, okay, but like, he's, you're Superman, dude. Like, you're kind of breaking the, the 
comic. You're, you know, you could do something about it if you believed it. Oh, and, and any moment now they'll start selling the those as uh, NFTs. NFTs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but I think Nightwing is where he's more successful doing it, and doing it with a character yeah. where it makes sense to do it. Uh, I'm not going to say what that is because I specifically want you to read this guy. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, but I think what the way he's approaching a Nightwing makes much more sense and doesn't break things front of bed. Oh, that's good. I really like Tom Taylor. I think that I think that he's a super interesting writer. I'm just not. Um... Not, I'm not entirely sold on on his um, offerings this year. On his offerings, <laughs> on his okay. offerings. Okay then. Yeah. Yeah. I, the worst part is like honestly, my brain has gone blank. I'm sure there are other comics that you know. Far Sector. I like Far Sector, but uh, I think everyone has talked about Far Sector. I'm sure there are other things I, I can't think about that that I really liked. But sadly, my brain utterly has gone blank at this point, uh, which means we should probably start to wrap it up. Yes. Um, there's more and comics are good and you should read comics and then there are some comics that aren't good and you shouldn't read those thanks for listening to Wait What (laughs) (laughs) wow I feel like you've literally just like summed up everything we've ever done on the podcast into one sentence and I am both amused and horrified at the same time sorry whatnots glad to help (laughs) (laughs) um yeah, we're this is this is the last one for the year, which is kind of weird to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, but we are going to be back at the start of January to do more of this, uh, to talk to Jeff, to find out just how crazy his December was. Spoilers: really fucking crazy, from what I've heard. Really nuts. Uh, I did like at the start of Jeff recording. He was like, mostly because of me that we're doing this, and I'm like, it's all fucking because of you. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just doing what I'm normally doing. You're the one with a wacky December. Um, but no, January we're going to be back and we're going to be doing this the same thing we always do. Uh, because Jeff didn't do it, I'm going to be the one who says that we have, uh, they'll be showing us up on the website at waitwhatpodcast.com. Jeff has a Twitter account at lazybastard at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I have a Twitter account at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. Chloe has a Twitter account at... Punk Rock Mom Jeans, P-U-N-K-R-O-K-M-O-M-J-E-A-N-S. <laughs> You whatnots did not get to see her literally get to the end of that and be like, how do I spell my Twitter account? Because it happened in her brain. And I'm only saying this because it happens to me every episode. Uh, Jeff's I can do. Like, just recite it now. It's not even words. It's I've just said it so often. It's like a weird poem in my brain. Um, we have a Patreon account, and Jeff's not here to say how much we appreciate everyone who uh, contributes to our Patreon. But let it be said, we really, really, really do appreciate everyone who uh, contributes to the Patreon. Honestly, we appreciate everyone who listens to this bullshit every week. Um, it really means a lot to Jeff and myself, and to Chloe when she's on, I think. Although, who knows, maybe maybe she doesn't give a shit. Um, but it's like, it's it's a lot to to me, and, and I think to Jeff as well, that... that People do listen and, and it, people enjoy it. And that it's not just the two of us talking absolute bullshit to ourselves uh, with for no reason whatsoever three times a, a, a month. Um, yeah, that's that's it. I hope everyone uh, who is listening to this, A, has not feeling that they've wasted their time for the last hour or, or shit, two hours. God, it's a two-hour episode even though we didn't even talk to each other properly. Oh, no. Um... <laughs> But, yeah, I, I hope you all have 
absolutely wonderful holiday seasons, no matter what you're doing, no matter even if you're celebrating the holiday season or not. Uh, I hope you have a good two weeks or so until we are back. Uh, Chloe, is there anything you want to say about anyone's holiday season? Is there anything you want to recommend people eat, watch, listen to? Eat ass. Happy holidays! Wow. You know, I really didn't think she was going to go there. And yet, when I think about it, I, 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 why? Why why did I not think oh, that? Oh, you should have planned ahead! Watch Central World, people. It really is a very good show. Uh, okay, we're going to be back in two weeks with regular rate wads. Thank you very much for listening to this one. Thank you very much for listening for all of the year. It really does mean a lot. Um, take care of all, all of you.